Good morning. I'm so excited to announce our guest speaker this morning, Emmanuel Ngulu. He, um, well, first of all, we went to Denver Seminary together like almost a decade ago, so it's very fun for me to have you here today. Um, but he's currently a Bible teacher at Valor Christian High School. He's working on a PhD. Um, he sometimes guest teaches at Nova Church, which many of you know we helped to plant that church a couple years ago. Um, he loves cinnamon rolls, which is cool, and Star Wars, which we will not hold against you. So let's welcome him as he comes up. All I got to say is Star Wars is better than Harry Potter. That's all I got to say. Well, hey, thank you so much for having me. Uh, as uh, Emily said, I've been at Denver Seminary. I was there when she was there. And uh, throughout the years, gotten to know Norton and Stephen, uh, along with other people. And I'm very grateful for them. Uh, you guys have amazing pastors who love you guys, who care about you guys. So let's do this. Let's show appreciation to Norton and Stephen and all the other pastors, and Emily as, as well. As she said, my name is Emmanuel. Uh, glad to be here with you guys. Uh, my family could not make it this morning, but they say hi. Uh, and here's a picture of them, or pictures of them and us. Uh, let me quickly talk about them. Uh, the little girl there, Mela, uh, she's 21 months. Uh, Mela, I would say this, uh, she will either be a dictator or a president. Nothing in between. <laughs> Nothing in between. She's bossy, sometimes good, sometimes not so, uh, not so much. Uh, Ambrose, uh, Spider-Man, as, as he wants us to call him, uh, he's four. And the cool thing about Ambrose right now, he's at a point where some of the biblical stories that he's reading, he's trying, he's trying, to, make, trying to think through it and, and make sense of them. Right? For example, he asked me a couple nights ago, hey, Dad, uh, Jesus died and on the third day came back to life. How about Grandpa? When will he come back to life? I'm like, great question. Ask the Lord about that. Right? But sort of think through all that, and that's awesome to see a four-year-old do that. Uh, my wife, Kelly, uh, we've been married for seven years now, seven and a half years, if you want to count half years. Uh, she's a joy. Uh, she's awesome. She's, I would say, uh, the foundation of our home. She's so strong. Uh, discernment, Wazoo, wisdom and guidance, uh, leading our kids, and, and she's awesome. About Kelly, uh, we met uh, about 12 years ago. At Wachita Baptist University in Arkansas. It was my sophomore year and her freshman year. She was just starting out. And that year, uh, my freshman year, I got redshirted. So I got to practice with the team, got to lift and work out. Uh, but they didn't, I didn't lose a year of eligibility that year. As my first year of playing was going to be my sophomore year. And so my coach had told me, hey, you got bigger over the summer. Seems like your skills have improved. Uh, you may not start this year because we got six seniors, but you'll be our sixth man. I get some heavy minutes playing that year, playing basketball. Super excited about it. Went to my head. Became very arrogant. The way I walked from my dorm to the classroom, uh, the way I treated my, 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 my friends and peers, right, as if I was better than everyone else. I met Kelly by throwing a banana peel at her and never apologizing. I was arrogant. I was prideful in how I approached things all because I was going to be able to start on the basketball team. Thankfully, she still agreed to date me a couple years after, after that. But I was arrogant. And my arrogance showed itself in how I conducted myself. And shortly after that, after I met Kelly, I got injured. And my whole sophomore year, I didn't play. 
right? Arrogance does stuff to us. It causes us to lift ourselves up, to be above other people. And we see it in our passage, in our story today in Daniel chapter 5. Chapter 5 begins by telling us about a ruler named Belshazzar. And he's throwing a party, celebration. He's invited all of his advisors, his wives, all kinds of people, officials. They're celebrating. Things are going awesome, great, cool, amazing. Now, uh, the history of Babylon at this time is uh, Belshazzar is not the real king. His father is. And his father is out fighting against the Persians who are invading Babylon. And so Belshazzar is left in Babylon, the capital, as the um, interim ruler while his father's out fighting a battle. His father has lost the battle, is captured by the Babylonians, and Babylonians are at the city gates, the city walls of Babylon that same night. And yet this guy, while his father's arrested, there's the enemy is at the gates. He is throwing a party, a celebration. And to make it worse, he decides, hey, let's go and grab uh, vessels from the temple of the God Yahweh of the Israelites and let's use it for the celebration, to drink from it and to give praise and glory using these vessels to our gods. I think about this, I'm like, dude, you're so disrespectful. I had a buddy of mine who told me uh, several years ago when he was in high school, his parents went on this trip and the night before they came back, he was tempted to throw a party, and he did. Through a huge party, things were happening in, in, in his parents' house, his house as well. And in fact, his girlfriend tried on his mom's outfit. Yeah, she's like, huh, yeah, you know, you know. Uh, some of his guy friends wanted to try his dad's car, and they got a dent in it. All before the parents came back that next morning. And when they came back, obviously he was in trouble. That's what Belshazzar is doing. Enemies at the gate. Your father's captured. You're throwing a party. And you're using the the vessels from Yahweh's temple for your own festivities. I mean, the disrespect that this guy's doing is ridiculous. And so he's throwing this party, and all this is because I would say he is places confidence in his city. See, he believes that his, his, his city, Babylon, will not crumble. Right? Babylon had uh, walls that were 50 feet high, two of them. Uh, each wall was wide enough for four chariots to drive side by side. And dividing each wall was a molt. And then a second wall, same high, 50 feet, and four chariots wide. And had not fallen, Babylon had not fallen for over a thousand years. And so here's Belshazzar, the enemies at the gate. He's throwing a party because he believes that his city, the walls of Babylon, will not crumble, will not fall. And so he placed his confidence in his walls. He began to act pridefully because his confidence was in his walls. Now, before we get critical of Belshazzar, and we should, If we're honest with ourselves, we do very similar things. Most scholars will tell us that in America, we're living in Babylon as Christians. We're living in a place that's done good, but also not so good things. 
And while we're in this place, we're to live here, to pray and seek the well-being of, of this place. But it's not the end-all, be-all. And what can tend to happen is most of us can place our confidence in the things of this nation, of this country, of the place that we are living in. So this past Tuesday, election day, if a certain party wins, great. If they don't win, not so great. We place our confidence in our political parties. How about education? Certain schools, certain degrees are amazing, but other ones are not. A certain lifestyle, a certain way of living. If we have these things, things are amazing. We place our confidence in these things. And these things are about what we desire, what we want. That's what pride is. Pride is saying what I desire, what I think is best, should be the reality for everyone else. I'll say it this way. Prideful people place confidence in the self. When I'm prideful, my confidence, my certainty about life is about what I desire and what I think is best. And so I'll fight. I'll go on Twitter and, and, and put comments or, or Facebook, Instagram, because what I think is best should be true for everyone else. And my confidence is placed in that thing. And if that doesn't happen, I'll make a big uproar about it. That's what Belshazzar did. He placed his confidence. He was prideful because of his city, of his walls. The story continues. As he's throwing this magnificent party, there's drinking happening, etc. We're told that all of a sudden hands appear and begins to write on the walls. And we're told that he turns pale. His knees begin to shake. His legs are wobbly. And he's terrified. I personally, I'm not afraid of snakes or um, heights. Public speaking, um, not afraid of that either. Uh, I'm trying to think what else am I afraid of? I mean, most things. I'm not really afraid of most things. Water, no, not so much. I'm not claustrophobic, right? I'm not afraid of any of those things. But snakes, though. I am petrified of snakes. Dead, alive, venomous or not, big or small, I don't do snakes. I just don't. In fact, a couple, a couple weeks ago, we were on a little family walk, and Mela sees, sees something, and she points at me, oh my gosh, I pick her up, and, and I'm getting running away. I am petrified of snakes. As arrogant as I may be sometimes, I am reminded I am not all that. Why? Because of snakes. Because of snakes. Little kids will play with snakes. I ain't going to be about that. I'm gone. Right? Snakes remind me that I'm not all that. And so here's Belshazzar throwing a party, being prideful, hands show up on the wall. He's petrified. Why? They're meant to humble him. They're meant to put him in his place. They're meant to show him, hey, you're not all that best, Belshazzar. How does he respond? Well, he calls for officials, people to come and give him advice on what, the, what could, be, what, what, what could the, the writing mean, and no one can, and finally Daniel is brought before him. 
And here's his response to Daniel. In verse 13, Daniel arrives and Belshazzar basically says this. Are you Daniel, one of the exile my father, the king, brought from Judah? So Daniel shows up. And the king here who is in a humble position because he's seeking the advice of Daniel for the writing on the wall. Is he humbled? No. He begins to show his arrogance. He says, aren't you the guy who my father exiled years ago? Basically saying, we're better than you. Our gods are more powerful than your gods. So his humble position that he's supposed to be in, he doesn't accept it. He remains in his arrogance. And then he continues. I've heard the spirit of the gods are in you, that you have insight, intelligence, and an outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read the writing on the wall, told me what it means, but they couldn't explain it. Now, I've heard that you are able to give interpretation to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you'll be clothed in purple and have gold chain placed around your neck, and you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Basically, what he's saying is, hey, I'll give you whatever you want. Authority, power, wealth will be yours. So here's a man who's being humbled, But instead of leaning into that, he remains in his arrogance, in his pride. And he believes he shows authority and the power to give what doesn't belong to him. See, when we're prideful, we believe we have authority. Prideful people believe in ultimate authority. That they can decide, that they can do what they want. That's what pride does to us. And in fact, for most of us, if we're honest, we are taught to pursue authority, climb the ladder to be the, the top honcho, to be the best, the best. So why? So you, people can look to you and you, have, you may have power over other people. But here's the thing about authority. When we chase authority, we actually lose Authority. When authority becomes the focus of our lives, of our pursuit, we actually don't achieve or grasp that authority. I mean, the first humans, the place in the garden, they have the highest uh, privilege ever. They're God's images, but they wanted more. They wanted more power, more authority. And what happened? They chased after it. Did they actually get it? They lost it. And the process became like animals, actually. Same thing happens to us. When we pursue after authority, after power, thinking that it's ours, we don't achieve it. We actually lose it. Because there's only one who has ultimate authority over all things. And Belshazzar didn't realize it. So he still believes that he has ultimate authority over the lives of people in his kingdom, all because of his pride, all because he thinks he can do as he wants. Now, upon hearing this, Daniel proceeds to give Belshazzar a history lesson. He says, keep your stuff with you. 
whatever, your, your, the, the crown or the, the, the gold chain, the purple clothing, keep it, keep it with you. Because then it realizes that ultimately it belongs to the God. God has authority, not this king. But then he says, Belshazzar, let me give you a history lesson. Your father one day was walking about his kingdom, saw all that there was, and began to give praise to himself at what he had built, at what he had accomplished. And then for a season, he became dumb. He went to live with animals, like a wild animal for a season. Until he was humble enough to acknowledge the true ruler over all things. This happened to your father. And in verse 22, uh, Daniel says essentially this. But you, his son, you have not humbled yourself, though you knew of all this. You knew about this story. You knew what happened to your father, yet you did not humble yourself. Instead, he continues, you set yourself up against the Lord of heaven, and you brought goblins from his temple. Uh, you brought them to you, to your nobles, your wives, and your concubines, and you drank from them. And you praised the gods of silver, of gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear. And you do not honor the God who holds in his hands your life in all your ways. Then it reminds them, you have every single reason to be humble, to acknowledge the true ruler, but you did not. You rejected to do so, all because of your arrogance. And you made it worse by taking what's the Lord's and using it for your own privilege, making a mockery of Yahweh. Right? It would be like someone who is on probation for, for driving, or for, yeah, can't drive at all, and is driving, and is speeding, uh, gets pulled over, and he begins to insult the officer. It won't be good for you. Right? You're on probation, you're speeding, and then you're insulting the officer. Things won't be good for you. The outcome won't be as you want. Neither was it for Belshazzar. Daniel tells him what the writing means. The writing is simply this. It's mine, mine, tekel, parson. It basically means this. Um, God has essentially counted your ways, has numbered your, and it's short. It's short. He's weighed you, and you're light, you're wanting. And what awaits for you is destruction. Destruction. Because prideful people are heading towards destruction. When we're arrogant, when we're full of ourselves, thinking we have authority, placing our confidence in ourselves, what awaits us is destruction. Prideful people are headed towards destruction. And we're told that very night, verse 29, after Belshazzar commands, he, Daniel told, 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 told the dream, Belshazzar basically gives Daniel the, 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 the gold chain and, and the uh, purple clothing. Verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Belshazzar, 
killed and his kingdom divided. All because of his pride. Typical saying, pride comes before the the fall. Let me come to our neighborhood again. We're not Belshazzar, I don't think. We're not rulers. But we act in similar ways. If the Lord looks at our lives, what will he say about us? I've counted your ways and it's short. I've weighed you and it's light, it's wanting. Will he say that about us? Are we living lives that present, that show arrogance and pride like Belshazzar? Babylonian kings were known as king of kings and lords of lords because they ruled over other rulers, other lords, etc. But in scripture, we are reminded of another lord of lords. I would say the true lord of lords, the true king of kings. And in this amazing, beautiful, poetic writing, the Apostle Paul talks about him as ruler, as king. In Philippians 2, Paul basically says this about the true Lord. He says, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, this king, this Lord, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Two different kings. One thinks that he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings. The other one actually is. And the one who actually is, what's he do? He humbles himself. He could have pursued fame and glory for himself. He could have received worship and adoration for what he wanted. He could have imposed his way on other people. Instead, no, he humbled himself to serve those around him. And Paul reminds us in this lovely passage that our mindset, our attitude should be like his. We can either follow Belshazzar or we can follow Jesus. If we follow Jesus, we walk the way he does. Humble people follow the way of Jesus. We go the way he's going. Self-sacrificial love giving what we desire for the well-being of other people. That's what the true king of kings, the true Lord of lords, did with his power, with his glory, all for us. Um, Shortly after becoming the president of the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, Booker T. Washington was walking around an exclusive part of town as a black man in this time. He's walking, looking at, at the site, etc. All of a sudden, a lady approached him and said, Hey, sir, do you want to earn some extra cash? I need somebody to help me chop wood. He could have protested. 
He could have said no. He accepted. And for the day, he spent the day chopping wood for this lady. He even carried the wood from the place where he was chopping it into her house and set it around the fireplace. Now, one of the girls who worked for this woman uh, recognized who this guy was. After Booker finished his work and left, the young lady told the, the mistress, hey, ma'am, the guy who's working for you is actually the president of this school that I'm attending. The woman, embarrassed for this, next day approached the president of Tuskegee and said, Mr. Washington, I'm so sorry. I had no idea who you were. Please forgive me. And guess what his response was? It's okay. I enjoy labor every now and then. And plus, it was a delight to help out a friend. The woman, so touched and so moved by his humility, decided to donate a lot of money towards the school. Because of Booker's pride? No. Because of his humility. Because he followed the way of Christ. What about us? What's going to be our response? To follow after Christ or to place confidence in ourselves, thinking we have ultimate authority? Maybe the former. May we have the same mindset as Christ Jesus to serve those around us, to love them even when it hurts, just like Christ did for us. Would you pray with me? Lord, it's so easy in a culture, in the world, to want to seek things that benefit us, things that um, make us comfortable. But we are reminded over and over again throughout Scripture how, God, you choose to humble yourself. You choose to go the extra mile for us. While we were your enemies, while we were sinners, you still loved us. You still sacrificed and gave it all. You humbled yourself on our behalf. And I pray as we follow you, as, as, as we choose to discover who you are, that we may see this way and live in the manner that you did. Humbling yourselves for those around us and in so being, reflecting you. Where we have failed, may you give us grace and may you give us mercy. And may, may you empower us by your spirit to live as you do. All this in your name for your glory.